It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. The Warriors finally have an opponent for the second round. After just about a week of action, and of course it'll still be another two days, the Warriors know who they're going to be facing in the second round, and it is the Utah Jazz. The Jazz lost Game 6 at home, and then won Game 7 in LA, 104-91, so they will be the Warriors' second round opponent. I wanted to take a little bit of time, actually this entire episode, to talk a little bit about the series, what I'm looking forward to, and a little bit about the Jazz themselves. I, I did a little bit of this leading into the podcast I did on the preview of, of what ended up being Game 6, where the, the Clippers won, but I had an eye towards Utah. I expected them to win the series, not not after they lost, after they blew Game 6, but, but overall, I, I thought they were the better team, especially after Blake Griffin got knocked out. A little backstory, the Jazz finished the regular season as the fifth seed in the West, actually tied with the Clippers with a 51-31 and 31 record, but LA had the tiebreaker, so they had home court and still lost Game 7. Utah was a couple of different pivotal things in the regular season. One is they were really good. They were 12th in offense and 3rd in defense behind only the Spurs and the Warriors, despite, and this is the other pivotal attribute for them, having exceedingly little continuity. So most teams, you know, you're going to miss a guy for a period of time. The Warriors lost Kevin Durant for a stretch, and you know, other guys had, you know, nicks along the way. Utah's expected starting lineup this season. And remember, they acquired George Hill before this year. They traded the 11th overall pick in a three-way trade that ended up getting them Hill back. It was it involved Jeff Teague as well. Their presumed starting five was Hill, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert. Those guys played together in only 14 games this season, and a total of 152 minutes for their projected starting five. They were actually had a negative net rating during that time, which is surprising, and they found some other lineups that have worked really well. So even in the short periods of time that they've been healthy, they haven't always gone to it. And that was part of the story in the series against the Clippers, was this lack of continuity, but also their overall high level of quality. So go Rudy Gobert, their defensive player of the year candidate, 
7-2 center with a gargantuan wingspan. I think it's like 7-9 or something like that. He got hurt with a hyperextended knee 11 seconds into game one, came back in game four, but then really came back in game five, played very well in game five, played all right in game six, and then actually was in foul trouble almost all of game seven. And he and Favors both fouled out, but Favors gave them some really good minutes. Favors over the course of this year has been battling injuries, super talented guy, has posed some problems for the Warriors over the years. But the way that the Jazz have used him when both he and Gobert have been healthy for the most part is as a combination guy. So typically he would play a little bit with Gobert, a little bit at power forward, but then he also functions as their backup center. That is how they've used the two of them together for the only the three playoff games they played together, games five, six, and seven of this series. And Favors has done much better when his role has been a little bit diminished. I think he's still making his way back from various injuries. So playing him 15 to 20 minutes is there. But that dynamic is going to be very important in this series because while they have limitations as a duo, particularly shooting, because Gobert doesn't really shoot much outside of the restricted area and then favors he's pretty comfortable with his mid-range shot but if we're talking about a power forward having a mid-range shot that's no big deal but they're absolute terrors on the offensive glass and favors is an underrated switcher i think that he can do a good job in those circumstances granted the warriors are better in terms of the personnel they have to attack switches, especially big men on switches, because they play an overwhelming number of guys who can make good decisions with the ball in their hands and and put pressure on a defense. That's very different to switch on to JJ Redick than to switch on to Kevin Durant or Andre Iguodala. So that will be something that I'm watching during this series is how Utah's bigs fare. And another big question is, how Utah and Quinn Snyder, their head coach, want to handle actions involving Stephen Curry. Because as has been a a kind of a theme of Locked On Warriors over the course of this season, especially many of you might remember that in the preseason, I was asking almost all my guests how they would stop a, I think at that point I usually used a Curry-Durant pick and roll. And it doesn't have to be rigidly like a pick and roll. You know, one guy dribbles, one guy screens. It can be a handoff or something like that. It's a similar action where a big guy is blocking space for a littler guy. And those are big challenges. The Jazz, by and large, have have tried to use a little bit more of sagging down, you know, so having Gobert in particular stop the penetration once it happens. But the problem with facing the Warriors and using that approach is Stephen Curry doesn't need to do that. Stephen Curry can just shoot that shot. And if a, a good screen is set, whether that's by Zaza Pachulia, JaVale in certain circumstances, or Draymond Green, It will create an opening for Curry that is devastating. And while George Hill has been making his way back from injuries, Snyder hasn't completely trusted him full-time to be on elite point guards. During this series, there were some strange moments where Australian swingman Joe Ingles was actually guarding Chris Paul. They switched more back to George Hill in Game 7, but it is something worth watching moving forward is just who's on who. And that gets into one of the most important questions that I have in this series. I think Utah is a wonderful team, and I think they pose some problems for the Warriors because they have strengths that the Warriors can't really counter. But they also have a, a couple of very specific weaknesses that are challenging. So one is they don't really have a perimeter stopper. And what I mean by that is just somebody that they can throw on Kevin Durant in particular, but you know, at moments Clay Thompson needs a guy like that just to put out the fire, to make life hard on them. Gordon Hayward has gotten a lot better defensively. He is a legitimate all-star caliber player. He is a legitimate all-NBA caliber player. I don't think he's going to make it this year, which gets into a contract thing I'm not going to talk about, but he's talented on that end. However, 
He's not good enough to make Kevin Durant sweat too much. He's big, but not not really like huge and not strong enough to, to cause it in that way. And they don't really have options off the bench for a bigger small forward. That would have posed problems for them against the Spurs, against maybe even James Harden, who's not that big, but just big enough where Alec Burks, who's basically out of the rotation, I think still hurt, would cause problems. But the Clippers don't have that at all. The Clippers don't have anybody who they need to do that. And in fact, the Clippers went overwhelmingly small for large portions of that series, especially once Blake Griffin went out. So that meant Austin Rivers playing small forward and even power forward, Luke Richard and Bob Mute playing power forward, Jamal Crawford, JJ Redick playing together. The Warriors don't do that. The Warriors can go small in a way that is still kind of big. I mean, Kevin Durant is the size, at least in terms of height, of many power forwards. And Draymond is small in in height, but is also has a big wingspan and plays much bigger than his listed height. So those are both really important elements of what the Warriors do. So they're going to need to find a way, either through team schemes or through a guy stepping up individually to really slow down Durant in particular. And maybe Durant's injuries will do part of that themselves. And then the other big one is that Utah has a really strong defensive front court. Boris Diaw excluded, but he's smart and he can do other things. They do not have players that are particularly adept at defending in space and particularly defending guys who can shoot threes. So the risk for the Jazz is that they have to make specific concessions in terms of how they're going to do it. So they can either, you know, they can play favors at the five at certain moments, and that can actually work better. He's an adept switcher. He's still a pretty good rim protector. But the problem is they don't have great help defense. If they're playing favors at center, then that means they're going pretty small at the other spots. It's the same issue that the Clippers ran into at moments of time. And a lot of other teams, actually the Wizards, were getting completely worked by this after Markeith Morris got hurt for those who watched that game. So... The Jazz may at certain moments counter that way. So they'll the, if the Warriors go with Draymond at center or they just have Durant at the four, Iguodala at the four, they've gone in those alignments a lot. That will be an issue. Or they can just say, we're going to compete with our strength anyway. And so that would mean pl- probably playing Gobert at the five and playing Dial most likely at, at power forward. The benefit there is they can get offensive rebounds. They can try to make sure that the Warriors are a one-shot team when they have the ball in their hands. The problem with doing that against Golden State is Golden State with one shot is better than almost anybody else with one shot and better than some teams with two. So you're choosing those concessions and the Warriors play really good first shot defense. So they will have to kill them on the offensive glass. Utah will. But that's asking a lot in order to be the foundation of a successful series. So those are are some critical components. Another one that I want to watch is how Utah uses their depth. So the Jazz have succeeded in a very different way in terms of team building than a few others because what they did, parts of this are actually similar to what the Warriors did in the early 2010s when they got Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond, and all those guys through the draft, and then they added veterans on top of that. So the Jazz drafted Gobert, they drafted Hayward, they drafted Favors, and then on top of that, they added Joe Johnson this year. They added Boris Diaw this year. They added George Hill. And those guys are, are solid veterans. They're good players. But it creates a little bit of a different dynamic. And I'm not completely sure 
how their if their depth is going to be as big of a benefit in this series as it was in the last one. One huge thing is that if perimeter players for them get in foul trouble, they have a lot of people that they can throw at the issue. In terms of pure like shooting guards and small forwards, you can go Gordon Hayward, Joe Ingles. That's probably going to be their two starters. Then Rodney Hood, who's good enough to start on almost every NBA team at either the two or the three. He's had a little bit of a shaky playoffs, but he's a great player. Joe Johnson is very, very good. And then they have a bunch of backup point guards who are all inconsistent, but all capable. And so they have Dante Exum, who's done a good job in some moments. He actually, I think he's done some good play against the Warriors as well. Shelvin Mack, Hull Neto, and they'll use all of them, basically whoever works. And that can be a challenge because having options, uh, this is something Kevin Pelton and I talked about on Real Jam Radio, not about the Warriors, it was about the Raptors, but the idea that having options can be a real problem for coaches. But when you're talking about backup point guards, that's not that big a deal. So they have all those guys on the perimeter. If Alec Burks can be healthy, he is their best defensive swingman, so 2-3. And they often play Joe Johnson at power forward. That was something that was kind of the necessity being the mother of invention over the course of the season because Favors was out. They were dealing with injuries to a bunch of guys. Jeff Withy has had issues. Game 7, I think, was the first game he's played in the whole series. He might have played a little bit in Game 6. And he's also dealing with uh, some off-the-court issues. So they have a lot of players that they can throw out there and that they can go to and that they trust. And trust, as Warriors fans know, is a very important part of the coaching process. And I think you could probably make an argument that even with the success of the Warriors bench, that Utah has as many or more high-end, you know, like high-end rotation players. The difference is that the Warriors have four all-stars and the Jazz have an indeterminate number, I would say probably two all-star caliber players and then two other guys in George Hill and Derek Favors that when they're on can be at that level, but that's a little bit different than being all-stars. So Utah is specially suited to causing problems for the Warriors. For those of you who follow the team closely, Utah has played the Warriors tough a lot over the years. The game that I think about the most for that beyond the fact that Utah beat the Warriors this season at Oracle, kind of in that weird run late in the season, was a game in the 2015-16 season where Utah was basically outplayed the Warriors for almost the whole game. The Warriors had a late run, and then Klay Thompson hit a big three to tie the game and send it to overtime. And that was a key part when the Warriors won of actually getting them to 73 wins because of what ended up happening kind of around that. I'm more aware of that because I wrote about that game a little bit in my book, but it was important and it was it was a reminder to me of like, oh yeah, the Jazz are going to be really good. And for those of you who listen to my other stuff, you know, Dunked On, Real Jam Radio, I've been talking about the Jazz for years and I've also been talking about the Jazz as a potential challenging matchup for the Warriors for almost that long just because they're so deep. But the fundamental difference this year is that the Warriors have Kevin Durant. And Durant will be a special player potentially in this series. And George Hill is going to need to play the however many games it'll take of his life because they don't really have that many other guys who can shoulder the offensive burden, even just catching and shooting. George Hill's one of the best catch and shoot guys in the entire league, which is rare for a point guard because a lot of point guards are good with the ball in their hands. And he's not as good off the dribble as Steph is. So he's an unusual player in terms of that skill set, but he can do well. He's strong. He has, he has pretty good length against Curry. But if he doesn't bring it, 
they don't really have a ton of other options who can produce on both ends of the floor and play the one. Exum can't really run an offense. The ideal for him at this point in his still young career is to be more of a catch-and-shoot guy and then defend like all get-out. And he can do that for stretches of time, but not all that much. I think Shelvin Mack is unplayable against Curry. And then Neto maybe in some small spurts. But they're going to need George Hill to play incredibly well. And that also gets into an idea that's exceedingly important in the series of how much Utah switches. Because the Warriors have dealt with that. That was actually a kind of a pivotal moment in game three of the Blazers series. Actually, sorry, that was game one when Kevin Durant started really going after smaller guys on the Blazers. The Jazz don't switch as much just because they have guys who are good at defending their position and not as great on on smaller or bigger guys, depending on the circumstance. They can compete, but they, they aren't great in that. And so how they approach those circumstances and how they handle being stress tested, because when Curry has the ball, when Durant has the ball, if you're not going to switch that screen or do a hard hedge or something like that, they're going to take that shot and more often than not, they're going to make it. So you have all these really interesting components in there. And Utah, you can make a good argument. I think I would agree with this, that they are the best team currently in the league of their form. And if you remember, it took a couple games for the Warriors to figure out Memphis. And Memphis is probably, I mean, there's a big attitude difference. But in terms of personnel, that Memphis team in 2014-15 was probably the closest analog that the the Jazz have. And the Warriors lost two out of the first three games and then figured it out and won the last three and won the series without going to a seventh game in the second round of, of the playoffs that year. It's entirely possible in normal circumstances that something like that could happen. But another huge factor in this series is just the idea of rest versus rust. So the Warriors will have been off for nine days, when, or not, sorry, not nine days. They will have been off for seven days because the game will it'll be Monday to Tuesday, so you don't count that day. And the Jazz will have played two days before. You know, they played Sunday, the game will be on Tuesday, and that's tough. So the Warriors might have some shakiness in the first quarter, or even game one, but the Jazz are, are dealing with health issues. And also remember that Rudy Gobert, after he came back from the hyperextended knee, he had a sprained ankle in game six. He played in game seven and he looked okay, not 100%. He didn't play that many minutes, but that was because of foul trouble, not because of physical limitation and favors did very well in his absence. But that is something to consider is that the Jazz, not only are they not 100% right now, but they are seemingly perpetually snake bit, sort of like the Clippers in that way, but different because I feel like the Jazz, their stuff is more nagging injuries, which in some ways is worse because you never know if Blake Griffin's going to have something come up. It just feels like it always does. That's different than like when you have something like plantar fasciitis or, or any of the things that Derek Favors has been dealing with because it feels like it's going to come back at any moment in time. So This is the series, as a fan of basketball, this is the series that I wanted. It is certainly a harder one for the Warriors than the Clippers would have been, particularly without Blake Griffin, because the Jazz are a deeper team. The Jazz have strengths that the Warriors may have trouble countering. But overall, I think that could be a good thing for them because dealing with talented size, dealing with depth, dealing with a a talented small forward, all of those things could be relevant on the Warriors' potential journey to trying to win another title. They could face another small, strong small forward in the next round with Kawhi Leonard, and then, of course, in the NBA Finals with LeBron. They could face a strong offensive rebounding team, either in round, th- round three in the Western Conference Finals or in the NBA Finals. And then facing a team that is 
that has a lot to play for. You know, the Jazz might not be as high profile as the Clippers in terms of the idea of uncertainty, but remember that both George Hill and Gordon Hayward are unrestricted free agents after the season, meaning they can go anywhere of their own volition if they want to. And that doesn't necessarily make a team play so much harder during the regular season, but it is something to watch. And so I'm going to be fascinated to see if the Jazz can really use that as motivation in this series. And I don't feel like I have to make a prediction right now, but I'm going to. And what I think is the most likely outcome here is that the Warriors win in five games. Utah is certainly good enough to push this to six, maybe, maybe even seven, but the Warriors are incredibly good and they're playing very well right now. And I think that you can, when you can make an argument for four, five, six, or seven, I think that five is the most likely outcome. It fits in with kind of a lot of the dynamics of the team. The Warriors can win in Salt Lake City, absolutely, but winning both games there would be kind of a push. They have the second most home court advantage because of elevation. The teams that have reliable home court advantages in the regular season are Denver, which is the highest team, Warriors actually lost there this year, and then in Utah. So, that's something that, that I want to keep an eye on, but the Warriors are a deep team. It sounds like Matt Barnes is going to be able to play in game one. I think it's also very cool that they're doing a tribute to the We Believe Warriors who played the Utah Jazz in the second round 10 years ago. So that will be interesting, especially considering one of the members of the We Believe Warriors, the aforementioned Matt Barnes, is still a member of the Golden State Warriors. So apparently Jay Rich and Barron and Al Jefferson, apparently Zarko Kabarkova, are going to be in town. So that'll be fun. And they're giving out the We Believe shirts. So for those of you who are going to be in attendance, I think that'll be a lot of fun. I think the arena is going to be kind of a throwback in that way, because I know there are fans, some fans that are a little bit resentful that the atmosphere is not what it was then in the present day because of how expensive it got. And I think there'll be a movement to try to make that make game one kind of feel like an old, we believe game. So we'll see if that actually happens. I know that's the hope of fans that are going to be there. And I think that's probably the hope of Warriors fans all around. So we'll have to see where it goes, but that's what I expect. And really looking forward to the series. I'm probably going to have on another guest. That's my hope to preview the series again tomorrow, but I think it'll be a meaningfully different perspective. If not, there are many other angles that I can go into in terms of this. And then with the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday format, it'll be pretty easy to figure out where the rest of the week is going because then Tuesday night show will be on the game. Thursday night show will be on the game. And then Wednesday I'll either take off because of Saturday or I'll have something to talk about. There are a lot of things that I want to do. So you can check that out. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com, at DannyLaRue on Twitter. And if you want to support the show, leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can also subscribe, download every episode, really important things to do with every podcast. You can also check out our sponsors, SeatGeek, LO Warriors, not on this show, mentioned anyway. And then if you want to support one of my other endeavors, you can check out the Patreon that Nate Duncan and I started as a way of supplementing and supporting our current and future endeavors, including Dunked On and the Twitter NBA show. And that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Duncan LaRue, D-U-N-C-A-N-L-E-R-O-U-X. And you can also listen to some of the other work I've done. I did a lock, or sorry, I did a Real Jam radio episode with Kevin Pelton. We didn't talk really much Warriors in that, but we talked about the other playoff series. And then Nate Duncan and I are doing dunked on today and tomorrow i'm guessing because we haven't recorded it yet that we're going to do the warrior stuff on monday night because there's a lot of other things to talk about there are a lot of other things to talk about today but who knows we haven't decided yet so that's not all the way locked in so thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day
Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. I'm Eric Fowle. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.